Again, happy Easter, everyone. Um, great to be with you guys today. Um, that was such a beautiful video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good, yeah. Our creative team did that. So good. Um, <laughs> yes, Jacob. Yeah, good job. Um, seriously, good job. Very close-up shots. I love it. Um, so if you're here today, um, obviously it's Easter, as we said it's, it's very intentional as to why you guys are here and showed up. Uh, Easter is a day where we uh, are hyper-focused on specifically the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and the meaning behind that, especially if you identify as a Christ follower, what does it mean for you to, be, uh, to believe in Jesus Christ who resurrected from the grave? And if you are not a Christ follower in the room, you don't identify as that, this is also a kind of a, a crazy challenge for you to believe in because that literally means that a, a body, a living person died and then came back to life. Like that is kind of a crazy thing to believe in. And that is what we talk about today, uh, not, or not just today, but that's what we're hyper-focused on when it comes to the Easter story. And for us, actually, we're going to start um, our time this morning, this afternoon, uh, with the moments that lead up to Jesus' death on the cross and lead into his resurrection, all right? So moments that lead into that um, uh, with uh, his crucifixion and his resurrection, uh, and then leading into his ascension. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can flip or tap or swipe your way to John chapter 18. Um, that is where we are going to be here uh, today. John chapter 18 verses 28 through 40. That is where we are today. Or you can follow along on the verses on the screen there. Wow, this Bible is so heavy. The music stand goes down. Not good. All right, here we go. This is what the, the, the book of John says. It says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. So this is kind of like a narrative, so try to play it in your mind, all right? It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. And so Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring this man? And they answered him, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. And Pilate told them, well, you take him and judge him according to your law. It is not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. And they said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. And then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, are you asking this on your own or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied, your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Listen to Pilate's response. You are a king then? Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice what is truth, said Pilate. And after he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And the Jewish people, they shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. And now Barabbas was a revolutionary. 
Let me uh, pray for our time together, and then we'll kind of parse out what this means here. So would you join me in praying? Most gracious Father, we are grateful um, today to, you know, have rolled out of bed, gotten ready, got our hair done, put makeup on, you know, eat some food, grab some coffee. Um, we're grateful, Lord, because those things are all able to happen because you sustain our lives. You get us out of bed. You uphold our lives, both physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. And we thank you that you, O Lord, are the king of this world, the king of the universe, the cosmic king in whom we worship and submit to. And we pray, Father, that as we dive into your word this afternoon, that your word would reign supreme in our lives as we look at the story and the reality, the history of your crucifixion and your resurrection and your ascension to the right hand of God. We pray, Father, that, um, that the resurrection story would, would give us hope that sin, Satan, and death have, do not have the last say, but you, O oh Lord, actually do have the last say in all things that matter to us, Lord, in this world. And so I pray, Father, you would make our minds sharp this afternoon. Uh, may the coffee that we drink uh, this morning, uh, may the caffeine just hit us. Uh, may our, make our minds sharp, make our hearts open to receive your word and our ears open to hear your word, Lord. So we're grateful and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> have you guys ever represented a group or an organization or an institution? Raise your hand. Have you, uh, have you found yourself ever representing a group like that? Any sort of group? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a student at MSU, LCC, or whatever, and you didn't raise your hand, then you're a liar, right? Because technically, by going to this university or LCC or whatever, you represent the university, right? You go somewhere, like, like that's why, like, when I see, like, people wearing, like, you know, the big... Um, you know, the, the maize and blue M, and I see them being a jerk, I'm like, ah, that is very fitting for you, right? No, I'm just joking, right? So we represent different groups and organizations and institutions, right? Uh, and some of us, maybe you, you love your family, and maybe you represent your family, right, to a watching world in the communities that you're a part of. Um, and the thing um, is, again, that all of us, we represent something and someone or some place to some capacity, our job as representatives of whatever is that we can either ruin the reputation of that institution or we can magnify it. We can make it look good, make it look pretty, make it look like, you know, astute and, you know, top-notch and top-tier or whatever, right? Uh, I remember when I was a freshman in college, so 2009, yeah, it sounds like ages ago, but it's not because I'm not that old, right? Okay, so when I was a freshman at MSU here, I was actually at a frat party. Wow, surprising. Um, and so I was at a frat party, and I was, uh, I think the word is inebriated, which is another word to say drunk, okay? And listen, that, that's, that's just what it is, right? That's, I found freedom in college, and I did what I thought I could do. And so I was at this frat party with my friends, and I was just talking to a random group of people. And in that random group, group of people, there was a woman, another fe a female student. I was just talking to them, talking to her. And I think she was a sorority sister. And so I think in the Greek world, you have like bigs and littles, right? I think she was someone's little. And this uh, other student came up, I think it was her big, and she was very protective. And I was like, I'm just talking to random people, right? And she's like, 
I could sense that she was very protective of her little, right? And I sensed that, and in my inebriated state, I thought, I'm going to make the wisest choice. So I told her, hey, you don't have to worry about anything. At that time, I was wearing a nice gold chain cross necklace. I take out the cross necklace. Look, you don't have to worry about anything because I'm a Christian. And I'm inebriated. (laughs) Cringe worthy, I think, a little bit. And this is not to shame anyone, anyone here who, you know, parties or drinks underage or whatever, right? I, I get it. That, that's, it's the struggle. It's the lifestyle temptation of being in college. But the point is, how we live as Christ followers in this world, the reality is that it's, we don't live in an isolated bubble. We don't, right? I think there are some insular and insulated Christian bubbles in America. But... The way of Christ and the thing that we're called to live out is to be representative of something much greater than ourselves. I think that is beyond ourselves and our lives, especially in a watching world that is ready to pounce on any chance it can get to disparage, to demean, to belittle the Christian or the, the, the Christian worldview or what it looks like to live as a Christ follower And the reaction that we as Christ followers have as a church actually matters. Go figure, right? How we respond to a watching world that is ready to attack uh, 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 the church or the, 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 you know, the, the Christ that we follow, how we react to that actually matters. The tone of the conversation in our culture and society has actually shifted. Um, if you contract with me back in like the 50s, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, particularly like the 70s and 80s, and uh, we saw that if you were a Christian, you were unintellectual, right? Because most Christians, you know, the, the, at least the idea was that as a Christian, you uh, rejected science. Science and religion didn't mix, like oil and water. So therefore, you were unintellectual. The conversation has shifted now where it's not that you are not smart. It is now that you are immoral if you're a Christian. Because the greatest sin in our society is what? To call someone a sinner, Right? And so the conversation has shifted in society. That's the water we're swimming in. And so for us as Christ's followers, for people who believe in the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the question is, what do we do now with this water that we swim in? As people who believe in a resurrected king and in a resurrected Lord, how do we live and react to this world? This world that so desperately needs Christ Jesus But the biggest hurdle that we have to come across now is morality. Our response matters and how we represent what and who we believe in actually matters. And the gospel, thank God, addresses that. If you look at John chapter 18, what we just read, verses 33 through 37, it says this, right? We just read it. Then Pilate, he's the governor of that prefecture in Judea, right? Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I am not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. 
You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this and I've come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. I want us to understand at least one perspective in how to read what is happening here. Between Pontius Pilate, Roman governor, right? And Jesus Christ, the son of God, the king of Jews, At face value, you see a Roman governor who's overseeing a part of Israel. So he's kind of doing his job, right? He's doing his job. That's what you see for face value. But have you actually look at this, right? You see a guy who's talking to this guy who professes to be the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, right? And he's being put on trial for that, right? Uh, Amongst other claims. But what we must understand here is that Pontius Pilate is actually, in my opinion, afraid at best, He's afraid at best, and at the very least, concerned with what his next political move is. Track with me here, okay? Look at what he says, the three questions. Are you the king of the Jews? What have you, king of the Jews, done to deserve to be on trial? Are you a king then? You see, with these three questions, Pilate, he shows his hand in that he is afraid that if Jesus really is a king, and he's about to put him on trial and kill a king, he could have what? A social, political upheaval from the Jewish people. And guess who wouldn't like that? Who does Pilate report to? You know your history? AP World History? Come on. Anyone? Caesar, right? He reports to Caesar. I got this riot on my hands now. I got all these people that are trying to take over this area because I killed their king. This is what Pilate is thinking about. And this is significant for us to understand because in our modern day today, we say things like, don't worry, Jesus is still king. Jesus is still on his throne. You remember that? It was like a year or two ago. Like we saw, I saw a lot of that on social media. You know, the keep calm, what is it? Like keep calm and carry on that meme, right? It was like keep calm and Jesus is still king. What does it even mean for Jesus to be king? Pilate had a political understanding of it. But for us today, what does it mean when Jesus says that he is a king? Right? These are all beautiful truths that, yeah, don't worry, Jesus is still king. He's still on the throne. What does it even mean, though? Why shouldn't I need to worry about what happens in my life when crap hits the fan? And that Jesus is still on his throne. Why should that matter to me? What does it mean to say that Jesus is still the king? John 18, 36. We read this again. My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, guess what the king says about his kingdom? My kingdom is not from here. And understand that Jesus, King Jesus, he's talking about his kingdom in this moment, right? He's describing what his kingdom is like. What is the kingdom of God like? And what the people of his kingdom are to actually do in moments when they're faced with real-time troubles. In Jesus' case, a real-time political opponent. Jesus is making a very clear to Pilate that he has nothing to worry about when it comes to the physical forces, armies that would subdue the Roman Empire, right? 
Because think about it. That's how back then, maybe even now a little bit, but back then, how did people think about empires? Well, you're going to take over this land. You're going to conquer my empire. My people are going to be part of your nation, whatever, all that stuff, right? But Jesus is saying, my kingdom does not operate in the way that you're thinking. Jesus says, his kingdom defends her king differently, not by power or force that Rome and the others would be accustomed to. So how does Jesus' kingdom operate? How does Jesus' kingship and reign, how does it grow in this world if not by force, if not by power, if not by might, if not by you know, arm twisting, using authority, abusing power, abusing authority? How does Jesus' kingdom grow in this world? Well, the kingdom of God grows in this world not by force or strength, but we grow the kingdom of God by speaking the truth of who Christ is. And this Jesus we love and serve we proclaim to be the king of kings, the king of the universe, the cosmic king. And it is this cosmic king who actually ends up being tortured on a Roman crucifix because of the sins of the world, but because he loves, also loves the world. John 18, 19 and 30, read what it says here with me. Pilate also had a sign. This is a chapter after what we just read, or I'm sorry, a few verses down. Pilate had made a sign and put it on the cross, and it said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Verse 30, when Jesus had received, this is now he's hanging on the cross. When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, the cosmic king, hangs dead on a cross. One of the worst ways the Romans ever decided and conjured up to torture and kill someone. He hangs dead on the cross for the sins of the world. I mean, imagine that, right? Your rabbi, your lord, your king, the person who you trust to take care of you, to watch over you, is hanging dead on a cross the one whom you place your entire faith in to take your marching orders from is hanging dead on a cross. And if the Jewish, need, uh, if, but if the Jewish people just knew that Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, understood what his kingship was like, they would have known exactly that Jesus sacrificing himself was actually not uncanny for the King of Kings. John 15, just a few chapters beforehand, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. He said that just like three chapters prior to this. It is not uncanny. It is not out of character for the king of kings, the cosmic king, to give up his life for his friends. And I hope it's not too soon to talk about this, but you know, I'll give it a shot. I think that is why the life and current actions of the current Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has captivated a global audience. Right? You see a country, over 4 million refugees, under attack, being invaded, and the king, the, 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 the leader, the ruler, the, the person of supreme authority in the country, does he run away? No, he is in the trenches with his countrymen, with his people. 
Why? To face the evil that is in their midst. Also, because he loves his people. How much more is that true for Christ the King? Who is in the trenches for the love of his people. He faces the evil forces of sin, Satan, and death head on on the cross because of why? Of what reason? Because he loves his people. Because he loved the world. With Christ our King, it is even more. And so when Christ, he hangs on the cross, he says the, the, the words, it is finished. In the Greek, that is the word tetelestai, written in the Greek in the perfect tense. What does that mean? Stop nerding out here. I'm going to nerd out. Tetelestai. Maybe you've heard me preach on this. Perfect tense. It means action that is done in the present, in his time. The effects of that carry on forever. That's the perfect tense in Greek. It's usually used in debt. When you pay off a debt, it is finished. That means your payment right now, it carries on forever. You don't owe any more debt. When Jesus says it is finished on the cross, he says the very sin that that brings you shame and guilt, the very pain that is caused by sin, he put it on himself out of a love for you and says you need to not bear it anymore. Anymore! Because it is finished. To tell us that his act of dying on the cross for your sins, it is finished. The effects continue all the way, even now, 2022 in East Lansing, Michigan. The power of the cross. Christ the King gives himself up on the cross for the love of the world. And he dies and is buried. Look at John 20, verses 11 through 16. Continuing on in the story, it says, But Mary Magdalene stood outside the tomb crying, and as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But guess what? She did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing that he was a gardener. She replied, sir, if you have carried him, Jesus, away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, get this, Jesus said to her, Mary. And turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, because she understood who that was. She says, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Such a powerful scene that we just read. If you know a bit of my story, you know that uh, back in uh, 2013, I was in the hospital uh, because of uh, my diagnosis with uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And, and, and you know, there, there's so many stories, wild and sad stories that, that happened during my treatment. You know, I had six months of chemotherapy, inpatient and all that. And, and um, one of the, the things that I found to cherish the most from that, that season of my life was I, I, would, I became friends with a couple of people on my floor. 
um, on, on uh, my, my cancer floor, right? And uh, we'll, we'll call him Bob, okay? <laughs> Can't think of any other name but Bob, so we'll just call him Bob. I became friends with Bob. And this is who Bob was. Bob was um, a guy, he was, I think he was in his 50s or 60s. He had worked in Detroit at a chemical plant. Um, and he had, I believe, some type of bone or, or blood cancer as well. And so he was there. And I got to meet Bob. You know, we got to hang out in his room. Usually he was in the room next to mine. And I would, you know, hop over and see him. And we would talk, right? I'd carry my IV drip and like, hey, Bob, how are you doing? He's like laying on his hospital bed. And uh, his wife would be there most of the time. And we bonded a lot. We shared a lot about our common faith in the Lord. Um, we shared about our love for Trader Joe's. <laughs> Because his wife would bring Trader Joe's almond cookies. If you guys have had that, A plus, right? If you're allergic to almonds, I'm so sorry. Um, but, uh, and, and she would bring them all the time. And she would share them with me. And we would eat. And uh, Bob one time told me that he was getting a bone marrow transplant. And if you know about bone marrow transplants, you, you know, you get the bone marrow transplant into your body and it grafts onto, you know, your, your body, right? And you know, depending on how uh, the match is, it can, your body can either react to it really poorly or really well. And so Bob, he gets his bone marrow transplant. Uh, and then, you know, for myself, I would go into the hospital for a week, once a month, and then three weeks I'd be home to recover. And I remember one month I came home, or came back to the hospital, um, and my nurse practitioner, we, we usually meet, and um, when I start my treatment, I asked, hey, how, how, did, how did Bob's uh, bone marrow transplant go? And she sat me down, and, and she told me the, the unfortunate news that, that Bob passed away because the, the, the bone marrow transplant didn't go well. It, did, it grafted, but then his body rejected it, and then, you know, kind of succumbed to the, the, his cancer. And that was probably the second time in my life that I, um, that I like really mourned someone, like the loss of someone, especially during that season. And it was so difficult, right? You know, the moment I expected to hear that Bob was doing well, I was met with the news that death was his fate. And I can only imagine the emotional up and down in this moment for Mary Magdalene. She goes to the tomb expecting to see Jesus' body, though still dead but it's entirely missing. It's not there anymore. Someone must have stolen it, right? That's the only logical conclusion. Someone must have stolen it. Someone must have done something to it. But no, in fact, she was about to be met with the complete opposite of such dire news. She was about to encounter the risen Lord Jesus Christ who was dead no more. The shock, the awe, the fall on my knees in reverence that she must have felt, and in the midst of the emotional roller coaster, what does she get met with? What does the text say? Her name, Mary, the risen King, the teacher of all teachers, the Lord of Lords, meets Mary Magdalene in her sorrow and desperation with her name. He knows her intimately. He sees her in her pain and distress, and he meets her with her name. This is the heart of the resurrected king to whom we place our faith in. The kingdom, in the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ, our king, sees, knows, and loves his people. From the moment that Christ was born, throughout his entire life, to the journey leading up to his crucifixion, 
While he was buried in the grave and after his resurrection, Christ, he had his sights locked on into the world, on the world. Why? Because he loved the world. And he knows you intimately by your name. Do you believe in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? The sweet news that not just me, not just several people in this room believe in, but that Bob also believed in. Yes, you know, Bob's death, for me, it was honestly very difficult to overcome. But the reality is that, yes, he died in this world, but because of Christ and his finished work on the cross, because of his resurrection, I know that death, eternal death, was not his fate. But it was because of Christ that Bob enters eternal life with our king, with his king. And he is met, I can only imagine, just like how Mary was by her name, that he was also met with his name as he saw his Lord, as he saw his king. The Christian faith is, is one that has not a resurrected king at its core only, but it is a faith who has a king who is actually right now seated at the right hand of God on his proper throne. That is the reality that we live in right now. We'll finish our time with this. If you flip over a few books in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. The writer of Hebrews says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after making purification for sins, guess, get this, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is our present reality. Jesus, the resurrected king, is seated at the right hand hand of God where he does not just sit idly twiddling his thumbs thinking I'm the best king in the world look at all my plebs or peons or whatever they're called peasants Jesus intercedes for us he advocates for us if you read through the book of Hebrews you'll see that theme but why Simply put, Christ advocates and intercedes on our behalf before God because the evil forces, there are spiritual forces of this world that we call sin, it is active in trying to deform us away from our king. To deform us away from the likeness of Jesus and to cause more separation between us and God. What does this mean for us today? If Christ is our king, then as his people, we place not just our faith that he is going to be a good king to follow, but we place our wholehearted allegiance to him. Trusting that he is who he says he is, trusting that he is a king who cares for his people, and we trust and we follow him. And as followers of Christ the King, we expand the kingdom of God as Christ did with a gentle and lowly heart or with a lowly and a humble heart. Like I said in the beginning, this world, the battle is not about intellectualism anymore. It is about morals. That is the water we swim in now. 
To be a Christian is to be immoral. And I don't know if anyone's ever called you immoral. People have called me immoral, and it's not the best feeling. (laughs) But if we follow Christ the King, we're called to represent his kingdom, to represent the King, to have his same heart posture, and that is with gentleness and humility. And that is how we win people to Christ. That is the best way that we can win people to Christ, is to be gentle and humble, to sit with people in their pain, to sit with people in their disgruntledness with the church, with who Jesus is, ultimately showing that it is his love that transformed us and that his love can transform them. And when the timing is right, we share the gospel that Christ died for their sins, their guilt, their shame, and that he resurrected from the grave, conquering sin, Satan, and death. And that if they as well submit to his kingship, they too can experience the fullness of love from this king, this cosmic king that we worship. Who or what have you given your heart's allegiance to? Genuinely, is it your career? Is it your GPA? Is it your political identification, left or right? Who have you submitted your heart to? What have you submitted your heart to? Because the thing about Christ is that he does not ask just for 50% or 60%. He requires full submission to his kingship. And that is a challenge for us all for us who identify as Christ followers, and especially for those of us here, maybe you don't identify Jesus as your Lord and Savior and King. How is that going for you? How would this life look like without submission to this cosmic King, Jesus Christ? Can you place your allegiance, your faith in the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension In Jesus Christ, our King. Let me pray for us. Let me pray for us because this is so difficult. But it's also such a beautiful thing, a beautiful story, beautiful reality that we are challenged with. Is that right now, we have a King who fights for us. That sin, Satan, and death do not have the final say because Christ has conquered that already. So let me pray that for us, pray that over us. Um, And then we are gonna actually uh, watch a story of a baptism, Um, just someone who's gonna get baptized at Riv this weekend. So um, let's pray. Father, we are um, met with your word and so much of it is that, Lord, when we read, we think that we read your word, but in all honesty, we know, Lord, that It is your word that reads us. It reads our hearts. It reads what is festering in our lives and in our hearts, especially for those of us here that, that, uh, that do not know you as King and Lord. And I pray, Father, for all of us here, uh, whether we believe or not, that you would be so gracious and merciful to us, that you would uh, draw us closer and closer to you, Father. 
We pray, Father, that as we reflect on the reality that you, O Lord, are not in the grave, that you're not on the cross, but that you are seated at the right hand of God, uh, that you, O God, that you, O Lord, are interceding for us, you're rooting for us, you're championing us to go and proclaim your gospel into this world and that you see us, that you love us, and that you care for us, that you call us by name. I just pray, Father, that that would be a reality that we all understand and see, Lord, in this world. Um, We're grateful for the gospel, how it leads us to eternal life um, and life abundantly with you, Lord. So we pray this, Lord, all in your son's name. Amen. So my grandpa, he's definitely been very motivational and inspirational for me. He started bringing me to Riverview back in 2002, so when I was a kid, and he's primarily always been the person to bring me to church. It was never that he forced it. Um, It was just that he was always encouraging and always loving with it. His welcoming and openness and just accepting, it definitely inspired me, and then just, you know, when I was having the really hard times in life, getting those encouraging messages just to lean into God and into the Bible. And he was just that person for me. And hes I've always seen him be so strong in his faith, even through the hard things that have happened in our life. And honestly, my grandpa is like one of the most important people to me. And I wouldn't be here without him, honestly. I had taken a little bit of time of not coming to church so much, kind of when I was in high school and started getting into college, um, kind of just drifted uh, with the outside influences of life. I had a lot of life-changing events, life-hardening events, you could say. When I stopped kind of going to Riverview, I wasn't a mom yet, and then during the time of my not going so much, I became a mom, and it was just really just, it was literally me crying on my hands and knees, just having to give it to God, just being in the hardest part of my life, like just, I felt like I had no one else that knew what I was going through, knew my pain every day. And so it was just finally like me just feeling like I only had God, like, and that's just who I needed to lean on. And I just remember crying on my knees, just in my bedroom, just like asking God to fully take my life. I was putting it back in his hands that, you know, I don't understand why things were happening the way that they were. But I was just going to accept what, what was happening in my life and the things to come. And even through the hard times and through the hardship that I'm finally finding peace, it's not always happiness or like always good things, but God is going to protect you, that he has a plan that, um, that we're taking care of. And it's just been blessing after blessing when I just accept him and follow his word and the callings that I feel like I have. No, it's not easy, but it's definitely positive overall. So baptism to me um, is just like the importance um, and proclamation of telling the world, telling your church community, telling your family and friends that you believe in Jesus Christ and God is our Savior and um, just that you're going to continue to pursue um, a Christian life and the Christian values and to get closer and deepen your faith with Jesus and God and that's definitely where I am and what I want to do. I want to now proclaim this to my church and to my family and make the next step to become deeper in my faith.